Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. in our series on this topic of the Lord's Supper, uh, straight out of the catechism, uh, Luther's small catechism, uh, taking a look at the third part, which has to do with the power of the sacrament. And so in previous weeks, we took a look at first, uh, what is the sacrament? What are we receiving when we do this? We talked about two things. We talked about first, that in this meal, the Lord's Supper, we are both remembering the death of Christ and we're also receiving its benefits. Now, last week, we went more deeply into what these benefits are. We asked the question, what are the benefits of the sacrament? And these benefits are uh, forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, the strengthening of our faith, and the unity that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation. And so tonight we're going to go deeper into this question of what is the power behind the sacrament? What is the power of what we're doing as we gather around the bread and the cup in the fellowship of this altar? Uh, Martin Luther wrote his small catechism in the year 1528 or 1529, around there. And as he was doing it, he was addressing two things, two misunderstandings with regard to the Lord's Supper. One was the misunderstanding of superstition, and the other was the misunderstanding of skepticism. So by superstition, this really had to do with uh, the Roman church at the time, uh, and some of the common practices of the day were that uh, in the Roman church, they would take uh, the bread, they would take the body of Christ, and they would parade it around the town or the village. This is called the Corpus Christi procession where people would follow it out into the streets, and then also they would have the habit of adoring the host. You know, they'd set it up at an altar, and people would come and pray and bow down to it and venerate it. And even there's stories of people, you know, congregation members who would, you know, try to sneak one of the hosts, one of the pieces of bread, and take it home and keep it in their homes because they thought it would bring great blessing. So that would definitely be superstition. But on the other hand, you had uh, within um, the church, you had this move of skepticism. This is what we call the radical reformers. These are those who were kind of going overboard on reforming, where rather than reforming the church in a healthy way, they were just blowing up everything, you know, and like tearing it all down. And uh, so some of these uh, radical reformers, like uh, Zwingli was one of them, if you know that name from history, he, um, he basically said that when we receive the sacrament, It's really just bread and wine. So he took a skeptical attitude towards the words of Jesus. And so these radical reformers would ask the question, how can a simple sip of wine and how can eating a morsel of bread do anything good for you spiritually? That's kind of the the challenge they were bringing up. And so as we see Luther's teaching in the catechism, he's giving us a teaching that is scriptural, not superstitious or skeptical. And so let's take a look at this third part of the catechism. So how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Especially after the Eucharist, 
So the first point I want to look at tonight is this. Point number one is the power of the sacrament, you know, conferring to us forgiveness and life and salvation. The power of the sacrament rests in the words of Christ, not simply the bread and wine. Uh, We have to be clear on that so that we don't go into that superstitious direction that the Roman church had gone into at that time. You see, apart from the Word of God, the living and active Word of God, the bread is just bread and the wine is just wine. It's simply that and nothing more. But it is the Word of God that makes it the sacrament, that makes it the very body and blood of Christ under the bread and wine for us Christians to eat and to drink. This is why in the service, in the church service, the pastors will always say, they'll always speak the words of institution as we take the Lord's Supper. Um, If we don't speak the words of institution, the words of Jesus, we have no confidence that this actually is the Lord's Supper. So we always speak those words. And this is a reminder to us that there's no power in the pastor. It's not like pastors have magic powers or something. And, and it's not, the power is not in our sincerity, and, and the power is not in our faith or our goodness. That's not what makes the sacrament the sacrament. What makes the Lord's Supper, really what Jesus says it is, is God's Word and God's Word alone. And that's so good to know because that means it doesn't depend on me or Pastor Tim or you or anybody here. It depends upon the living and active Word of God, that when God speaks, things happen, and He gives us exactly what He promises the very body and blood of Christ for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. I went to a church once in Phoenix. Uh, My wife and I were visiting some uh, family, and so uh, while we were there, uh, some friends there had invited us to a church. Uh, We went there, and uh, pretty good sermon. Worship was great. But then they came to the Lord's Supper. They said, we're going to have communion And they didn't say the words of institution. They just said, we'll be up here. We're going to have some bread and some wine. And when you're ready, you kind of feel like it's time. You can just come up and you can take the bread and you can take the wine and just remember Jesus. And something was missing there though, right? The words of Jesus Christ were missing. That's why we always want to speak those words, those words that Jesus gave to us. On the night when when our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. That's why we always recite those words. Not because there's any power in the pastor. It's not kind of a hocus-pocus moment. It is a word of God moment so that we know exactly what we're receiving as we come to the Lord's Supper. So one of the questions in the, in the back of the catechism in the questions and answers section is this. Uh, so how can bodily eating and drinking give us such great spiritual benefits as forgiveness, life, and salvation? See, and this is a thing about our God, is that our God 
Yes, he works in us spiritually, but our God is very fond of using means, physical means. I mean, he uses sound waves, right, to get the word of God into your ears and into your heart. He uses the printed letters on a page to confer to you the Holy Spirit as that word creates faith. And he uses simple things like water and bread and wine once again to get at your heart and share his love with you and make you his own. It's the power of the Word of God that does these things. Now let's move on, though, to point number two. Point number two is this. The power of the sacrament is only received by those who have faith in the words of Christ. You see, there was another misunderstanding at the time when Luther wrote his catechism. Uh, In the Roman church, there was this teaching uh, that basically, if you just showed up to the Mass, if you just showed up, you get points. And you don't, you could, you know, back, they didn't have iPhones back then, but you could just be on your phone checking Facebook. The fact that you're there, even if you're not like engaged, paying attention, listening, the fact that you're there means you get points. Uh, And the technical term for this, there's a Latin term called ex opere operato, and that just means it works by working. And so this was a teaching of the church that like, you just show up, you don't even really need faith. You get points for being there. And so people would, you know, not even have a a living, active faith in Jesus. They weren't really seeking the forgiveness of sins. They would just come and get their communion, and they, you know, card checked, right? In fact, the teaching at that time was that every Christian must receive the sacrament at least one time a year on Easter. And so everybody would come on Easter to be able to say, I did my duty, I got the sacrament. But this is contrary to the spirit of what Jesus is calling us to in the sacrament. You see, the sacraments are given to us to kindle faith and to confirm our faith and to renew our faith. They are always connected to faith. So, for example, the gift of holy baptism without faith doesn't save, right? We'd all agree that there's probably a lot of baptized atheists out there. The benefits are given, they're offered, but they're not received because there's no faith receiving what's given. And it's the same thing with the Lord's Supper, uh, that in the Lord's Supper, we don't receive the benefits of life and forgiveness and salvation if we receive these things without faith, outside of a trusting relationship with Christ. And so this is the way the questions and answers put it in the, in the catechism. So does everyone who eats and drinks the sacrament also receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? So a couple things to break down there. Um, You know, the sacrament is the true body and blood of Christ, not because your faith makes it that. So even those who come to the Lord's table without faith, they get the real deal. They're offered the benefit, but they don't receive the benefit. So for example, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll talk about this more next week, but when Paul talks about those who uh, sin against the body and blood of Christ, as they take the sacrament, because they're not really recognizing what's going on. Um, in, in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, there's people getting drunk at communion. 
If you can imagine that, there's people who are like having divisions and despising other people in the body. And, and Paul's saying that, that, that they're sinning against the body and blood of Christ as they're taking the sacrament. And, and so that means that even those who come without faith and who are misusing it are receiving the real thing, uh, but not to their benefit, but rather to their harm. We'll talk about that more next week. So this means that, you know, if a child goes through confirmation and then takes the sacrament but doesn't know Jesus or doesn't desire the forgiveness of sins, it means the sacrament does not benefit that person. It's only through faith, through trust in Christ, that we receive those benefits of life and salvation. You know, I'm reminded of, a, of a, something that happened to me in college. First year of college, I was a freshman. I was a Christian but I didn't really know what I believed. I knew I believed in Jesus. I knew He was my Savior, but I didn't really know the details of what I believed or where I belonged. And so, uh, although I had gone to a Lutheran church in high school, I was kind of out just kind of exploring. You know, this is my college rebellion. You know, I'm going to other churches. You know, I'm going to the non-denominational church, the Baptist church, just kind of checking it out, trying to figure out what I believe. And I remember I went to this uh, non-denominational church uh, in the town where I was going to college for a Sunday service. Uh, folks were really friendly. Uh, I was talking to the pastor afterwards, and he apparently had grown up in the Lutheran church in that same town. And in fact, he had a, attended the same college that I went to for a little bit. And in conversation, he said to me, he said, you know what the problem is with you Lutherans? And I said, well, tell me, <laughs> what is it? He said, you know, this was his experience. He said, you know, my experience was that, was that Lutherans party really hard on Friday, and they party really hard on Saturday, and they do whatever they want, and then they go and they get their communion on Sunday, and they get a, a clean slate again, and then they repeat. Now, I think that's a little exaggerated, right? But that was his experience as a Lutheran among Lutherans at a Lutheran college at that time. Now, I went to this college, and there's lots of good, strong Christian people that I went there with, but apparently he had a bad experience with what I would call cultural Lutheranism. Um, I didn't make this term up. A friend of mine in St. Louis shared this term with me, cultural Lutheranism. It's really this idea that, you know, I'm coming to the sacrament, I'm going to church, not because of a living, active faith in Jesus Christ, but it's because it's what my mom and dad did. It's what grandma and grandpa did. It's my great-grandparents who laid the foundation for this church did. It's just kind of what we're expected to do. Um, and so that is not a right reception of the sacrament, right? That means that we're coming to it just because, well, it's just what we do. I'm not really seeking and hungering for the forgiveness of sins. I'm not really going after Jesus to know Him and to receive Him. I'm just kind of doing this because, well, it's what we do. take a look at the Scriptures here a little bit because we read about this in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Uh, Hebrews 4, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is talking about this good news that was preached to the people who came out of Egypt in the Exodus. 
but they refuse to hear and believe the good news preached to them about going to the promised land. And so for 40 years, right, for 40 years, that generation was wandering around the wilderness, right, just wandering around in the wilderness. And in fact, because they hardened their hearts against God, they weren't allowed to inherit the benefit of the new land. They died in the wilderness. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews says. He says, for good news, gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the, the good news was preached, but it just kind of rolled right off of them. It did not benefit them. Speaking more specifically of the sacraments in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, and our fathers would be the people of Israel who came out of Egypt, journeyed to the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness. He says, I want you to know that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. The cloud is the reference to the pillar of cloud by, by day and the pillar of fire by night, right? And all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's when they passed through on dry ground. And Paul says, and they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. See, Paul's talking about uh, the New Testament sacraments, holy baptism and the Lord's Supper, but he's thinking about it in Old Testament terms. And he's saying that although these gifts were given, right, the manna from heaven and the water from the rock, that for many of those who received these things, they did not benefit them because they did not receive them in faith. So Paul says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so that is why we emphasize faith, that it is through faith that we receive uh, the benefits of the sacrament. And apart from faith, we do not receive these things. This is always my concern, you know, in, in, with, with Easter, for example. Um, you know, Easter is the most joyful day of the year to receive the Lord's Supper, hands down, right? Like, best day ever. I think Easter is best day ever, hands down, and we get to receive the Lord's Supper. But one of the painful experiences I've had as a pastor in past years is that in my previous congregation, you know, we would have people who I would never see for the whole year, and then they would come to church, and I'd be so excited to see them. I'm like, you're here, and maybe this is going to be the year when God really gets to your heart, and maybe I'm going to see you more often. And year after year, these precious people would come and they'd receive the body and blood of Christ. They'd take it, and then I wouldn't see him. And I'd reach out to him and I'd say, I want to see you. I want you to be here. And I just wouldn't see them. And only God knows the heart, right? But I had to wonder, is this precious gift being taken in faith? Or is it just being taken because we don't want to make mom and dad upset? Is it just being taken because it's a family obligation? Or because I'm in the pews and I just happen to be here and I really wouldn't take this gift unless I just happen to be here for Easter worship because it's a family tradition. It's a dangerous thing, right? 
It's a dangerous thing because then we're not receiving the benefits of the Lord's Supper, but rather we're receiving it in a way that's not proper. But my last point, I want to emphasize the clearest. Point number three. You see, there's a warning here, right? There's a warning that we would not receive this without faith. However, I want to make sure that the warning isn't misinterpreted by the weak in faith. Because point number three is this, the power of the sacrament is especially for those who are weak in faith, especially for those who are struggling, those who are doubting, those who are limping, those who are feeling guilt and shame. The sacrament is especially for those who are weak in faith. I'm reminded of that story in Mark's gospel where there's a father who's desperate. He comes to Jesus wanting healing for his son, and he's struggling. And really at the high point of the story, you know, he says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that cry because I've had that cry, and I'm sure you do too. Sometimes very often, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And where else are we going to help our unbelief but right here at the Lord's Supper? And so we need to remember that this sacrament is especially for the weak in faith. An experience I've had uh, often in, in my previous congregation, I, I, I have people who would, who would maybe not come to the Lord's Supper, you know, or they come to the table and as I went around with the, with the, the body of Christ, they would just do this thing like, I'm not going to receive today. And I, and I would talk to them afterwards and I'd say, hey, what's up? I just saw you didn't come to communion. And they say, I just don't feel like I should come because I'm not worthy or I just got a lot of stuff going on in my life right now and I just don't know if I should receive this or I'm just really struggling to forgive somebody and I just don't know if I should come to the altar. And, and my response would be, you know what? This is exactly where you need to be because where else are you gonna find strength in the midst of your doubts? Where else are you gonna find the, the strength to forgive, right? Where else are you gonna find strength for your faith? It's not gonna be in your own resources. It's gonna be in the body and blood of Christ. You see, these people were not distancing themselves from the sacrament because they despised it or didn't really care about it, didn't really want it, didn't think they needed Jesus. See, they were distancing themselves because they didn't think they were worthy. But when we realize that we're not worthy, that's exactly when we should come because we know that we need Christ. And Jesus welcomes those who know that they're not worthy. You see, the truth is, is that a weak and a strong faith both receive the full Jesus in the sacrament. Did you know that? I mean, if you've got like a 10% strong faith, that doesn't mean that you receive 10% Jesus. And if you've got a 90% robust faith, you receive 90% Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The person with the weakest faith who comes to the Lord's Supper receives the same forgiveness, life, and salvation in full that the person with the strongest faith receives. It's sort of like this. If you have a plastic bag or somebody else has a treasure chest and I give you like a handful of gold and I put it in the plastic bag and I put it in the treasure chest, do those two things, the, the bag and the treasure chest, hold the same riches? Yes. The receptacle you hold them in doesn't really matter. What matters is that you have the treasure. Maybe your faith kind of feels like a plastic bag, right? 
Maybe your faith is like a treasure chest. Doesn't matter. It possesses the same Jesus in full. And that's exactly what we receive as we come to this in our weakness, receiving the strength of Christ. And so as we close today, uh, let's do this last question. How then should we eat and drink the Lord's Supper? Amen, as the guarantee of our forgiveness. And yes, we hunger and thirst for that. Uh, as we close tonight, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you give your body and blood under bread and wine that we may know with certainty that our sins are forgiven by your atoning sacrifice on the cross. Grant us so to eat your body and drink your blood trusting in your words that we may receive what you declare, the forgiveness of sins, and so live in you even as you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.